Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome to the Debunking Economics podcast. And Steve Keen came up with the title for this edition of the podcast. Uh, we'll find out why uh, why economics is like sex with accountants. He, uh, he basically wanted to cover off the principle of why so many economists have got their theories wrong, particularly as it relates to the question of debt and uh, government debt as well as private debt. Now, Steve says it's a bit like sex with accountants. I'm not really quite sure why. I've been trying to figure this out. Uh, I, I mean, there's, you know, thinking about my account, there's no doubt he's a very attractive man, but um, I'd just be worried about how much he'd charge. Uh, so, so, Steve, why did you want to call this episode Sex with Accountants? I, I mean, is it a, a fantasy of yours? Oh, no. <laughs> it got, got me thinking, Steve. What would Sex with Accountants, I mean, at least it would be regular, wouldn't it? It'd be the same time every month, without fail. <laughs> Uh, on the downside, it would be have to you'd ha- you'd have to record it and keep it for seven years in case the tax office wanted to see it. And I'm uh, desperately hoping an old girlfriend of mine is not listening. And uh, and then I thought, uh, what about double entry? And I, I'm not sure about that at all. So um, well, that's that, that's in fact the clue. It is in fact double entry, which uh, I mean, the, 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 the mind is running wild right now. And <laughs> that is not uh, what you intended, though, was it? I mean, to expect- well, actually, actually, yes, it is. Talking double entry is exactly what I intended, and I thought, well, this, this is only going to be sound sexy to accountants, but it also sounds like sex to accountants. So yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, they're, they're certainly more kinky than I thought they were. Because, uh, look, <laughs> we're talking more about private and government debt. So, so, t- so okay, so why sex with accountants? What, uh, apart from double-entry bookkeeping, what, what is the connection here? Well, the connection is double-entry bookkeeping. Right. And, and, that's, the, and that's, the, that's the point. This, this is a subject which, you, if you're going to be an accountant, you have to understand it. Uh, if any other profession, you, know, you might think you can ignore it, but it's still going to rule your life in some way or other because ultimately you've got to make that trip to the tax man. Right. That's, the only thing is you told me when you said, I will call it sex with accountants because they're going to be turned on while everyone else falls asleep. So uh, that, if you're going to survive as an accountant, you've got to find double entry exciting. <laughs> well, it does, it's, okay. it's, it sounds intriguing. All it's right. Turn on. <laughs> okay. So explain okay. more to us. Well, economic theory has this concept that uh, money is created, what they call the money multiplier process. And... When you look at it properly through the the lenses of an accountant, it's sheer nonsense. It simply can't happen. So uh, to try to explain this something, to apply to other people, they tend to get what's what's rather than the the, the, uh, turn-on effect, they have what a friend of mine calls the Mego effect. Ever heard of the Mego effect? No. My eyes glaze over. Over, right, okay. 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 Well, we'll try and make sure that doesn't happen. Okay. So what I'm trying to do is this is be sexy for accountants, might make other people's eyes glaze over, and I'll, I'll try to, to keep it alive. And it's actually the sort of thing which is really works well with the visual cues one gets on radio. Uh, but we'll see how we go. Okay. okay, okay. Um, so the, 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 to actually make it slightly more interesting, a bit sexier for others, if you think about the model that economists have of, of how, how loans occur, because they talk about lending and they talk about money as two, to some extent, separate activities. But if you uh, see how does a, a mainstream economist like Paul Krugman explain why he ignores banks' debt and money in his thinking, he says it's because one person's asset is another person's liability, which is accountant speak, of course, and therefore you can ignore the level of debt. End of story. 
Right. Um, so what he has as a vision is uh, of lending as being a bit like banks operating like Ashley Martin. They don't actually screw you, but they introduce you to somebody else who would like to screw you. <laughs> okay. So the idea is you, 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 you're, you know, let's use the male-female analogy. Um, particularly in the post-Trump era, I don't need to worry about being politically correct. No, here. not anymore. So, okay, male, female. And uh, so you have a male who wants to have sex with a female, uh, and they go through Ashley Martin to arrange it, and Ashley Martin charges a fee. You don't actually get screwed by Ashley Martin. That's the vision of uh, you know, sex for Ashley Martin, and it's the vision of lending that conventional economists have, that banks like Ashley Martin, they introduce you to somebody else who wants to lend you money, they don't actually lend you the money. That's the vision. Yeah. And if you have that in your mind, then so what it pimps. means... They're the, pimps. Yeah, yeah, banks are pimps. Okay. Um, now, in fact, the proper model is that banks are actually prostitutes. Like they, they do screw you, and they're not doing it because they uh, enjoy the process. They're doing it because they want your money. Uh, but they want your money by creating it in the first place, so it gets slightly more complicated. But the, the vision that they, they have and, the, and they teach students, or they use this as, as, a, as a wave a magic wand to say you don't need to worry about the level of money or debt in the economy, you don't even need to consider the existence of banks, is they basically say, well, look, you know, men and women get together, it doesn't really matter how they do it, they have sex, they have kids, and on goes the human race, you know, why do you want to worry about uh, who actually does the arranging? But when you look at it from the point of view of what banks actually originating and therefore providing the uh, the monetary equivalent of sex rather than arranging for others to, to have sex and exchange their monetary equivalents that way, uh, then they're essential. Leave them out, you can't understand how procreation occurs in the first place or growth. So that, that's the overall background. Now, if I confuse people completely enough there, or should I continue and ask me a question? Well, no, uh, well, I, I, before you, I hate it when you ask me questions, by the way, because uh, I never know the, <laughs> an- I never know the answer. But I, I'm thinking the analogy here is that people go to, uh, to, to the bank uh, to say, look, I want to have sex with somebody. And the bank says, well, look, have sex with us. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's like having uh, someone arranging, uh, uh, arranging a mate for you, but that one person decides they're just going to mate with everybody. Effectively. The, bank, the banks are the, um, the banks where Everybody, rather than the banks arranging people to screw each other. Yeah, that's that's the error now. So let's let's put it in double entry terms now, uh, because if you what, what what accountants call the fundamental law of accounting, uh, and unlike economic laws, this one is, is effectively impossible to breach. Though you can certainly hide it with um, a second set of books, which I know a lot of companies work with. Uh, but you start off by saying assets minus liabilities equals equity. So whatever your assets are, subtract whatever your liabilities are, and that's what your net worth is. That's the basic idea of the equation. Yeah. So if you think about how the bank draws up its vision of the uh, monetary transaction world, if economists were right that banks are just pimps, what is happening is nothing happens on their asset side. They have a liability to you and a liability to me. Uh, you transfer some of your money from your account to my account. That reduces the liability the bank owes to you, but it increases the liability the bank owes to me. Because liability meaning, if you go up to a bank and say, "I'd like," you know, let's say you got a, a thousand quid in your account, and you walk up and say, "I'd like nine hundred ninety-nine quid," thank you. They have to give it to you. It's a liability. Okay. They yep. no, otherwise, they're breaching their their obligation to you. Um, so they record that liability effectively in their in their accounting as a negative. So that's that's why they say uh, if you pay money to somebody else, from their point of view, the liability out of you goes down. Yeah, because they have okay. to, they will have to pay it out at some point when you. That's ask why. For that's, that money why back. that's yeah. So deposits are liabilities of banks. Yeah. Uh, now, if you have lending being the way that the economists talk about it, what they what their vision is, they call this thing loanable funds. 
And what they say is that people who, who are, there are people who are lenders, there are people who are savers, and banks make the intro between the two. And that's how lending occurs basically off the balance sheets of the books, of the banks, because the bank, for the bank in that particular case, if lending is between one bank customer and another bank customer, then the loan's an asset of one of those two, a liability of the other, and it doesn't turn up at all on the books of the, the bank itself except for saying that the, the lender you know, owe less deposits to the lender and owe more deposits to the, to the borrower. So that's their vision. Now, when you, when you do that sort of shuffling between accounts, the same amount of money is still in existence. You don't change the amount of money in existence. Mm. Uh, you don't really change the spending power the economy has. You simply change who's got that spending power and therefore how fast it will uh, uh, go from one person to another. So what you're doing, and from this convention, the view of a conventional economist like Ben Bernanke or um, uh, Paul Krugman, is simply changing the, the micro detail. The macro details cancel in effect because the, uh, the only difference will be if one person has a higher propensity to spend. So if you're a spendthrift and you lend me money, there's going to be a big fall in demand. But if you're a miser and lend me money and I'm the spendthrift, there'll be an increase in demand, but my increase will be offset by your small decrease. Right, so there'll, yeah. be a, there'll be a marginal effect at the macro level, but otherwise one you can, you can fundamentally ignore. And that's what they do. So that's the Ashley Martin vision of sex and lending. Now, the real world is you've, you've gone to the red light district. <laughs> You're in Amsterdam, okay, you, uh, and, and, you, and you're going to pay for the delivery. What actually happens is the bank says, um, okay, you would like to uh, get a loan from me. That's fine. I'll lend you a 1,000 quid and put a 1,000 quid in your deposit account, which increases my liability to you. Well, the reason I'm willing to do that is that I'm putting a 1,000 pounds as an entry on my asset, meaning you owe me a 1,000 quid. Yeah, and you have to interest. You have to service me money, uh, pay me money to service that debt. Now, what that means is that the bank's asset increases, and the liability increases. For so there's sure, an identical increase in two. But that's that's the fundamental reason why um, why they, why they're different. Those those two acts are very different. Now, the the next stage of it is that if you borrow money, you, you don't borrow money because you enjoy being in debt. There are some massacres like out there, but we can forget about them. Okay, we uh, borrow the spend. You borrow to buy an asset. You borrow to buy. You know, when you go using a credit card to buy something, you, you're increasing your debt to get something you want at the time, and you're willing to pay the interest charge that that is involved in that. So we borrow to spend. So if you have um, the Ashley Martin vision that the conventional economists teach, and you borrow to spend, yeah, that happens. You do the spending, but you reduce the capacity of the the borrower to spend as well. Mm -hmm. So one cancels the other. You can ignore it. But when the bank creates an asset for itself and creates a liability as well, and then you spend that liability, you both increase the amount of money in existence and you've increased the amount of demand, and you've increased the amount of income, because when you spend that money, it becomes somebody else's income. Right. And that's all being created by the bank. By the bank, yep. So they're not Ashley Martin. They're, they're the red light district. Mm. They've, cr- actually, uh, they've created the industry, basically, the, the money-making industry. Yeah. They're, 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 they're not a money warehouse, which is the vision that mainstream economists have. They're a money factory. Yeah. Now, when you get that in your head, uh, your whole vision of how capitalism functions changes. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just more damn realistic. Yeah. 
Uh, but in that world, if you ignore banks and ignore debts and ignore money, you're ignoring capitalism. And what the hell are you doing advising people about how to manage it? So when does that become an issue? Because if they, uh, <laughs> if, if there's more money, um, then money is worth less, isn't it? You, know, you, get, you, get in, you get inflation. Well, then what you're starting, and this is where the easy trap everybody falls into, thinking in static terms. And this is, again, the fault of neoclassical economists. We live in a growing economy or a changing economy. Mm. And we have all the time we've got in, you know, increased production occurring, um, um, increased asset prices, increased asset sales, decreasing at various times. Well, it's an organic, dynamic, changing system. And in that changing system, if you are in the stage where you're growing in terms of more physical output being produced, uh, there's not an economy on the planet which has grown for a sustained period of time without a growing supply of money as well. Somehow you've got to increase that money to enable more transactions to occur. Mm. Uh, if you, The only way you can get more GDP out of less money is if the amount of money in existence turns over more rapidly. Yeah. Now, that, that has happened at various times in history, but it stopped happening in America in about 1980. Yeah, and we talked we, we, we talked about yeah. that last time. Yeah, That's yeah. Right. So, so consequently, the only way to get that increase, if you're going to have increased uh, output being produced over time, and you want to have, you need increased money for that, then it can come from one of two sources. And this is the uh, the other important element about how do we think about governments as well. Banks can create more money by creating more loans, which means to create that money, you're adding to the liabilities of the banking system, but you're also adding to the, for the public's point of view, their liabilities to the banking system as well. They've got to pay that money back, they owe interest on it and so on. You get an increased burden of debt. And if that debt is growing faster than GDP, then it stimulates the economy because it's doing that, but it also gets to the stage where people are devoting more and more of their income to service that debt and may actually decide not to take out the debt uh, when they get excessive levels. And this is when it really, really matters because since that change in debt, and I define credit as the change in debt on an annual basis. So if you have have, uh, credit growing at uh, 20% per annum, which is frequently what happens, then that is adding to demand by that same amount. Now, people decide to stop borrowing money or the banks decide to stop lending, that change in in growth, which is growth in demand, disappears Mm. and can happen overnight. And that's what we had in 2008. That's why I saw the crisis coming, because this has always been part of my thinking. Whereas the neoclassicals completely ignored that. They weren't even looking at the key indicator, which is the level of indebtedness of the private sector to the banks. Okay, so explain why um, that the, spe- the, the that gr- that continued growth is is important. So if we see a sl- so if we see the growth stop, or even if we see that um, the the rate of growth slow down, mm-hmm. just take us through the steps and why that's important. Well, if, uh, if everything is growing and everything is changing in a real world economy, let's forget the piece of paper that the neoclassicals draw their vision of the world on and look at one in which you know new products being invented, uh, new pe- babies being born, new people moving into the workforce and so on. That's a growing system. Mm. Now, we've got all sorts of hassles coming about of sustainability of that growth, which is yet another topic down the, down the track for you and me. But uh, in the absence of the environmental constraints we, we live in, uh, then that has been a growing system since the 1700s. And the remarkable thing about capitalism is the extent to which that's grown, not just in aggregate sense, but also even in per capita, even when you include the poorest of the poor there's been a dramatic increase in the amount of, of stuff per head that we produce right. and consume over time. Now, so the f- money plays a fundamental role in enabling that. 
Uh, and what it should be doing uh, is enabling it through us borrowing money, which then enables entrepreneurs to produce things they couldn't otherwise get the money to produce. And then we get the technological evolution of society coming out of that. That's what should be happening. Uh, what what has happened, of course, is banks lend to fund asset bubbles and Ponzi schemes. Right. So so let me paraphrase this and tell me if I've got this right, though, so, so mm. I understand. If I understand, yeah. then maybe other people will understand, too. We, we've got a situation where banks are creating money, uh, which they're loaning out to people, which people are spending, and that's uh, helping the economy grow. But the uh, if we measure the uh, growth of the economy through the growth in GDP, that's not growing quite as fast. So the money that we're pumping into the economy um, it, it is not equal with the growth of the economy. So at some point, banks then say, hang on a second, uh, we're not getting the, you know, the returns. And perhaps people are doing the same as well. We're not getting the returns we expected because ult- ultimately the, the economy is not growing as fast. So we've got to pull back. And the moment they pull back, that's in effect almost the same as uh, uh, turning off a tap. Uh, that people have grown used to that rate of growth, that their, their spending is based on it, their, um, uh, their investments are based on it, and all of a sudden they're not seeing the same level of growth, so everyone's worse off, even though, even though money is still growing and the GDP is still growing. Spot on, mate. Absolutely spot on. And that's exactly the case I've been trying to get through. And the people who've been stopping me get it. Just through a book about this. You can do it. You can do it. You've got the script right there. <laughs> right. Um, okay. That's, that's, so let's, so yeah. that's, so that's, that's, that's private debt. So government debt is a, is a different kettle of fish. But as we said last time, the two are interrelated. They seem to interplay one, one against the other. Yeah. Um, so private debt is, 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 is growing private debt is a problem because that risk exists. Yeah. Not the same issue with government debt or perhaps it's an issue in a, no. in a different way. In a different way. And, and this is, and people make this mistake of thinking about the government as a household and it's, they've got to think about yeah. it as a bank. Okay, because just like banks, it can create money. How does it create money? It creates money by spending more than it gets back in taxes. Yeah. Now, banks create money by, by, by lending out more than they get back in repayments. Okay? So it's, it's a similar mechanism. But the trouble is, uh, because we have a misunderstanding of both, people don't even think about how banks create money. They've got it in their minds, but they, they, they don't see the danger you've just identified a moment ago. Uh, most people, unfortunately, don't see it. But with government, they think, oh, well, the government should be, uh, it should be taxing more than it spends because it'll be like a responsible household, which yeah. saves money. Now, that's just the wrong model because uh, households can't pre- create money. Firms can't create money. There's an incentive for both of them to uh, spend less than they get in earnings. Okay? And that's sensible when you're talking about a firm and a, and, and a household. Of course, they'll borrow money at various times to expand the demand when they want to. But the, the mental, the mentality that we should be you know, earning less than we um, spend spend. Is, is a good one. What's the macabre kind of, what was the old, um, from um, Oliver Twist, the macabre definition of, of pleasure was uh, on income 20 pounds, spending 19 pounds and 12 uh, and 11 um, shillings and 11 pence is uh, was, was Nirvana and 20 pounds, six, uh, income and 20 pounds and one pence was hell. That, that sort of vision. Mm. That's that's what we've got in our minds, that we have to be on the positive side of that. And we then apply that to the government because most people think in some sense they own the government. Okay? They don't think they own the banks. Okay, So they, they, they therefore treat the government as a subsidiary of their household and think that the government should behave the same way. Wrong. Mm. The government is another bank. Okay? And so as a bank, it's one of the two ways you can create money. 
it runs a deficit, it creates money, it runs a surplus, it actually effectively destroys money or it takes that a circulation in the in the Main Street economy and maybe it turns up in Wall Street instead. So the logic there is, you know, I've done, I've done the Ashley Martin thing for the, uh, the banking sector and rather than, you know, liability to liability, it's asset to liability, they both grow, uh, which is how money is created by banks. With the government, the government, if it tax, if it spends on you, then it's creating money by the spending process, but because it's putting money in your, your account. If it taxes you, it's taking money out of circulation. So it's effectively destroying money, taking money out of your bank account. So for a government to create money, it has to run a, a deficit. And if you have a growing economy, then with a growing need for money, if the government's trying to run a surplus rather than run a deficit, it's actually taking money out of circulation and making it harder for the economy to achieve that, that, uh, that monetary and indeed physical growth. Yeah. Okay. So it makes perfect sense that if the government creates more money, it's injecting more money, there's more money to be spent. That's in the short term good for the economy, but can it do that forever? I mean, isn't it, doesn't it make sense that, I mean, that you've got issues like inflation, for example, if there's more money than there's, you know, if they mm. keep on pumping more money into the economy, then each dollar or each pound you have is, is going to be worth less and that's going to cause inflation. This comes down to the, I mean, for a start, let me point out one thing which I still, I'm, I'm finding this so ridiculous because every time I say this, that's exactly the first thing people say. And then I say, and yes, and what are central banks trying to do right now? Yeah, push up inflation. Oh, Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, right, okay. right now at this point in time. And it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Because uh, now Trump has come along. He's talking about, although he's trying to do it with private debt, so he's got that wrong a bit, but he's trying to pump more money into the, the economy. Uh, mm. The UK is now saying, well, we're going to push back our, uh, you know, the point at which we, uh, we balance our books because we need to spend more to uh, uh, to try and counter the uh, the impacts of the Brexit. Um, so it seems like you know around the world governments are starting to wake up to this bit by bit. Well, I'm glad Slowly. he's always go back. Now, unfortunately, I was going to go back to this vision of sound finance, which is the argument they should run a surplus. Mm. Let's go through the. If I could go back to the sex for accountants again, let's try to work through the double entry, and this is going to really twist people's minds that they're trying to drive a car right now. Uh, <laughs> but we, we, if you have the government wanting to run a run a um, a deficit. Uh, what it has, it does its estimates what its tax revenue is going to be and what it's spending. It gets a gap between the two. So the Treasury issues bonds equivalent to the gap. Let's say we're talking about, a, you know, a, a, let's say a, 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 a trillion dollars in America's case. And I'm sure there's going to be of that scale of spending by, by Trump and his project. So they issue a trillion dollars worth of bonds. Now, the bonds by law, and this is only a legal thing, it doesn't have to go this way. The bonds can't be bought by the central bank immediately. They are sold to the public, to the private sector, which means they're bought by pension funds, insurance companies, financial corporations, and so on. Now, that doesn't create any money, that particular process, because what happens is money that's in the financial sector gets paid back to the government. But then the government then spends those bonds. Let's say you want to build. I, I think I'd, I think I'd rather like to build a, a Trump airport in Michigan. Mm -hmm. I think it should be another Trump International Airport in uh, another uh, part Lavia. of Michigan. <laughs> Another part of it. You've got to fly the small plane to the big plane. Um, so, yeah, a, a Trump airport here, a Trump airport there, a Trump railroad, a Trump, you know, whatever. Um, so you build them everywhere. And, of course, that's in that process. You're paying money to people to build them. And American workers have now got jobs and American firms are providing the steel and so on. So you're, you're actually generating money and creating money by that process. Now, if the government, on the other hand, decides, well, it has to tax or um, more than, let's say, wants to tax a trillion dollars, which is the sort of, sort of ambition you got out of the Cameron mob over here about trying to get the government to surplus. It's actually 
cancelling that, that, that debt. It's saying we're going to buy back that debt. So what it's doing, it takes money out of the bank accounts of America. You know, it's the English workers, but I'll go back to America. Imagine America. Trump was an Osborne Mark II uh, and wanted to uh, run a surplus. You tax the American worker and the American firm a, billion, a trillion dollars, and you use that to cancel the debt that you currently owe to the financial sector. Yeah. So what you're doing, you're taking money out of circulation, okay, and and cancelling the income earning uh, loans that the financial sector used to have by giving them cash. Now, what that means is the with a trillion dollars less to spend, the American uh, worker and American firm go into a tailspin, and the fir- and the firms that are holding that money are not about to buy shares. You go down a gurgler and you have a great depression. And unfortunately, this is exactly what so-called sound finance leads to. Okay, so I mean, Trump is Trump is sort of going. I mean, what you're describing is is a little bit about what Trump is expecting, isn't it? Because he's not expecting to uh, entirely finance all his projects. He's expecting that uh, the government will put the money in, and then the revenue that's earned. I mean, we talked about this with the the, the latter curve, didn't we? The money that the money that's earned um, by the workers working on those projects, uh, they'll pay tax, even though they're paying reduced tax, and uh, and that's going to help balance the books. I mean, that's I think that's his intention, isn't it? I think he wants to get to balancing the books, and that would be a mistake. Mm. This is the problem. Because you can, and indeed America has, run a permanent deficit, and it should run a permanent deficit if you have a growing economy, because that gives you a growing money supply. Now, if you try to go the opposite direction and run a surplus, uh, then what you're doing is taking money out of the economy, believing it'll grow at the same time. It won't. It'll shrink. So this is the if you can if you're very small time you can run a you can run a surplus and governments have done that but when they've done it it's because the private sector is borrowing like crazy from the banks and what you get is a huge increase in private debt and then you get a credit crunch when people realise they can't continue borrowing like that or banks realise they can't continue lending garbage loans and suddenly the economy tanks like it did in two thousand and eight right so it's. But if, if, if governments are doing this, if they're sort of like saying, well, okay, let's fund a whole load of projects, what happens when they stop doing that? Or do they just do that forever? And if they do it forever, do they have to keep on increasing? You know, because as we talked about, you know, the rate of growth has got to continue. Do they have to continue increasing the amount of money that they are, uh, in effect, creating? Well, again, it depends on, on the, where you are in the economic and ecological cycle. Uh, but the government has been doing that and can do it. There's no the only constraints on are the effect of it doing it. So you mentioned inflation. Now, if we're back in the 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 1980s world where you had high rates of inflation, uh, then okay, you've got to say something is going wrong there. We've got to create less money. Or you have the uh, if you have a um, an oil price shock and things like that. Or you have a, if you have a huge export, uh, your exports aren't growing as fast as your imports because that spending money is going to buy foreign goods, then your money creation is actually going overseas, not benefiting you. Mm. So there are those practical issues about it. And, of course, also the other issue is how, you know, how good is the government at choosing projects. It's yep. a lot better than the mythology that the, the private sector always knows better, but you certainly do get the case where you know some government spending reducing it would be a damn good idea. So uh, it, it, it comes down to... You want the volume there to, to give you the growth. You want it to be done in such a way that you don't have uh, very bad negative side effects like either a, a trade crisis if you're not the international currency uh, or uh, inflationary surge if, uh, in, in, the, in normal times. 
So those are what you look at. What's the impact of us doing this? Not we shouldn't do it at all. Yeah, which I guess is the approach that Donald Trump's taking. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Donald Trump, we think of him as a uh, as a Republican. But I mean, this is not a Republican policy. I mean, he's a Republican Mm. in, in name only. Well, it was the same with Pastor Reagan, which is why I find it amusing. He's got Laffer as an advisor because Laffer persuaded um, uh, Reagan with a cartoon drawn on a napkin uh, that if you cut taxes, you'd increase government revenue. Yeah. Now, of course, he cut taxes and you didn't increase government revenue anywhere near as much as Laffer's curve said you would. In fact, it fell uh, by cutting the taxes and you had a huge monetary stimulus to the economy coming from the government which is why the economy by accident off. yeah by accident <laughs> now i think i think to some extent uh, uh, Clint, um, trump is a lot uh, sharper on that front than reagan he knows that he's going to be creating a lot of money and he knows that'll stimulate the economy but i think he also falls for this argument about the government needing to be responsible and balance its books so my little theory about what is in donald's mind here is he's going to uh, kick off with a huge infrastructure uh, boost and a huge tax cut as well Massive stimulus for the economy. The place goes gangbusters. He wins the second term. And then in the first year of the second term, he goes to balance the books again. So he cuts spending drastically in the belief that that will give both the booming economy and uh, and good, you know, what they call good accounts, a low government deficit, et cetera, et cetera, to hand over to President Ivana Trump in the next term. <laughs> Okay. Well, look, you know, I don't, I don't know as I can believe that because I haven't seen the Simpsons episode that's predicted that. That's going too far, perhaps. Yeah, uh, look, to- he'll it, shoot himself in the foot because when he yeah. cuts the spending to balance the books, the economy will go all tank. Well, maybe he uh, knows that. Maybe he's, he's saying, well, that's what conventional economists want to hear, so I'm not going to get uh, in trouble for that, but I know what's really going to happen. If I'm afraid I don't think he knows. It. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> we will. All right, okay, very good. Uh, so remind me again why we called this episode Sex with Accountants. <laughs> because we're talking about double-entry bookkeeping right when you get that in your head and understand it you can see why banks debt and money matter and why the government should run a deficit if you can't get that in your head you're never going to understand either all right okay appreciate your time again steve okay mate bye and i think i do understand it so if a bank creates too much money then we have to risk that the bank is going to collapse look at italy for that one if a government creates too much money the worst that can happen is that that extra money creates inflation, and that's the least of our worries. And, of course, if you and I have too much debt, then we cut back on our spending, and uh, that affects the economy as well. So government spending can be a very good thing, or it can be a, a bad thing if it slows down. And as we record this on the 6th of December 2016, it looks like the Australian economy is about to record negative growth. And if it does that for another quarter, then the economy is in recession. And what's contributing to that? A drop in government spending. So there's the proof in the pudding. Now, it's worth going back to listen to the last episode, which was also on public and private debt and how the two trade off each other. Now, that was a paid-for episode. This one, of course, was free. But if you like what you hear, then subscribe, and you can hear this uh, stuff like this uh, a couple of times a week. Details are at debunkingeconomics.com. And next time, productivity. Why is it so important, and why has it been on the slide in most developed economies? And what can be done about it? That's next time on the Debunking Economics podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then, hopefully. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.